so like a moment that comes really clearly to me is I've handed out beer at the Ironman Lake Placid like three or four times, both the 73 and the full Ironman up there, which is absolutely iconic. And like the steam off the lake in the beginning and like people running out to it. And then, but I really specifically remember like walking towards the finish line as a sampler and like looking at like the Red Bull Arch and things like that and being like, like how do we get to there where we're like much more present here and stuff like that and so it's like it's amazing to reflect on like Oceanside and like look at all the branding around town and hear the announcer saying our name and stuff like that so it's um but for me it's really like much more about the athletes and their experience and like it's it's such a moment for them like we're just happy to sponsor Ironman and help them keep the races going and build this community of great things going on so like more than anything being part of the ecosystem in a positive way Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are your hosts, Jess and BJ, and we're on a mission to create a better world. It's a world that begins with embracing the change we desire to see in the world within ourselves first. And what I've discovered on this path is that clarity of mind is critical. Our guest today has created a product and propelled a movement that is allowing people to feel more clear without the compromise. Bill Schufelt is co-founder and CEO of Athletic Brewing, the first U.S.-based beverage company focused on brewing high-quality, great-tasting, non-alcoholic craft beer. Named by Time Magazine as one of the top 100 most influential companies, Athletic Brewing was born from a dissatisfaction with the metallic-tasting, watered-down, non-alcoholic options on the market. Athletic Brewing is a haven for the ever-growing, sober-curious trend that we are seeing, especially amongst those who hold their active lifestyles and feeling good as a priority in life. With limited-edition brews like Sunset Stoke, Idaho 7 Cashmere, Soul Sour, and Nature Nut, it is clear that the creative juices are flowing, and to my best guess, the stream of well-being is behind it all. Bill and his crew at Athletic Brewing are on a mission to positively impact their customers' health, fitness, and happiness while greatly impacting their communities and environment for the better. As someone who loves, loves a tasty IPA, but not so much the numb cheeks and dull mind that goes along with it, I knew when I took my first sip last year at Ironman 70.3 St. George that I had to find out who is behind this brew and that we had to invite them to be on the podcast. That said, we are here finally. Bill, welcome to the show. Wow. Thank you so much. So much to live up to. Um, well, <laughs> Yeah, you better I, live up to it. <laughs> I love everything that you guys are about too. And so like your whole mission, your guests, everything. It's, I'm so excited to be here. So thank you for having me. Oh, that's so great. Thank you so much. And to find out that you're like 10 miles down the road, which, and I could have done this in person. I know. I know. I, I know. We could have cracked open some brews and, uh, and, um, yeah, we could have done it in person. But I have a feeling that we'll be seeing you around as I know we've been in very close proximity several times before, probably at Ironman races. Um, but we're just psyched to dive in. You've got a great story. We love it for so many reasons. Um, and when I first tasted the beer last year, I mean, I was kind of off the wall about it. Um, I really was because I love IPA and I was just like, and it's hoppy and it's like, and it's got that taste. And I had, I had two, uh, I didn't race the no, race, but I, <laughs> I kept having BJ go back into the tent and get more. And after two, I was like, I feel like I have a buzz, but I think I'm just so happy that finally someone has brought something to market that is, it's just, it's so high quality, you can tell, but tasty. Um, and so I know that you felt the same type of, you know, frustration or just like, ugh, malaise about what was out there. Uh, but I think we'd be remiss not to dive into the story that, you know, got you to that point where you were even ordering non-alcoholic beer. So um, if you would take us back to what, wherever the start begins for you. Yeah, for sure. And that moment you just described where like, um, you can almost like feel the beer. Um, I, I think that's for like, from like thousands of years of humans drinking beer and alcohol and it's so like a part of rituals and society and so many different moments in society it just doesn't blend as well with modern life um and like 
there's so few days of the week or times of the day when alcohol does make sense in today's world, really. Um, but like, even when I was like just stopping drinking, like I started doing more reflection on like my favorite times with friends and family and everything. And my favorite drinks were never like the eighth beer at like 2 a.m. or whatever. It was the first beer when you like first see a family member or a friend you haven't seen in a while. And like having a drink in your hand, seeing a friend or a family or relaxing after a stressful day, it's about like the hops and the malt and the moment. It's not about the alcohol. And, but I do think when you have that beer and you have that community, it like, it's almost like, um, like in the sensory experience when people talk about like smelling fresh baked cookies that like takes you back to your grandmother's kitchen. Um, it's that kind of moment and sensory association. So it very often, like in the afternoon, I drink our beers all day. Um, and if my day is like super stressful, but I have an IPA and I smell the malt and the hops, I find myself like very relaxed. And like, it, it is like generations and generations of, yeah. So, um, sorry, I got on the detour there. No, um, I love it. We did hear that you are your biggest customer. Or one of your biggest yeah. customers. <laughs> At the end of any year when we look back and like sort our customers because we send out annual gifts to all our biggest customers, they're like, Bill, do you want us to send yours or not? And I'm like, send it in. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, um, it, so um, I guess like going back to like the beginning of my story, um, I just uh, – so – I mean, like any college kid and uh, like I was working in New York City in finance um, and had a, a great job. Um, I probably would have worked in finance the rest of my life. Um, I was kind of on autopilot from the moment I went to college, right to New York, into finance and on and on. And um, really never like creatively had a different path that I saw myself taking. Um, it was just kind of um, the path I was on. But as I really started to take my career more seriously, I really valued my like intellectual, um, like just being on point during the day. And um, like my lifestyle was evolving so that like, like I had three or four work dinners a week, which were drinking occasions and then had stuff with friends and family on the weekends, which were drinking occasions. But like the things I valued the most in my life was more like a high performance lifestyle. I loved waking up early, working out, feeling great. And that was like all of a sudden one of my favorite moments of the day. And then I wanted to be intellectually sharp at work. And then I wanted quality time with friends, family, colleagues after work. And alcohol really had no added benefit in any of those things anymore. And it used to be this thing that I thought was like hugely relevant in social life, work life, everything. And I was training for my first ultra marathon and stopped drinking for a month. And I realized actually alcohol isn't relevant in any of those things. And like, I liked being in restaurants, sports bars, anything without alcohol more than I liked being in there with alcohol. And, um, it was just the offerings that were limited. And when I held something in my hand, there was like an inferior product. It also made the experience inferior and it made me feel socially like an outcast almost where like people would be like, Oh, what are you drinking? And you're just kind of embarrassed about this penalty box beverage. Um, and so it, it was like, it was very easy for me to stop drinking. It was just the like social baggage and the inferior products that were such a pain point. And like, the more I kept thinking about that, the more it drove me crazy. And I knew I wasn't going back to drinking. Um, cause all of a sudden, like intellectual curiosity I hadn't had since high school was firing at night and I was sleeping eight hours through the day. I was eating healthier. I was more intellectually sharp. And it was just this virtuous circle when I cut alcohol out that there was like no brainer. I was not going back to that prior life, but, um, yeah, so it was just like this penalty box existence that like forced me to think about this. And it was like the first time I'd ever had an entrepreneurial idea. But like there was a real impact to be had where 50% of adults don't really drink and many more are underserved by the current alcohol market. And people really only drink in like a couple nights a week, even those who do. And so we wanted to give people great options for the other five nights a week. Um so there was this whole inclusivity element, but then 
on like the on the actual like societal impact element, um, alcohol is the number three all causes killer in the country, um, and then it also contributes to number two and number one, which are cancer and heart disease. So like, alcohol has a pretty big negative impact on society throughout. Um, and I saw like what me stopping drinking had on my life, like that huge impact. And then I had a couple friends and family members kind of get sober after I did. And I saw the huge positive impact on their life. And I was like, wow, this is the biggest positive impact I've ever had in my life by far. And the most meaningful thing that I've ever done. And I was like, how could we take this to like many people? And I think by making moderation cool, it was like a really clear way to have a positive impact on tens of millions of people, really. Um, there are 14.8 million people in the U.S. who suffer from alcohol use disorder, for example. So um, I know I just touched on a wide range of things, but like at first I was like, wow, I want better options in my life. And then I was like, whoa, we could have a huge impact on the world. And like there was this like product economic story that I'd been working on for two years but it was when I realized the like, huge impact we could have on the world that that's when I didn't sleep for two nights and I was out the door on my job like two days later. Oh, my God. Yeah. So how does it go from an idea to you quitting your job, right? So you have a job in finance in New York. I'm assuming you're not making minimum wage by any means. I'm assuming you're doing pretty well, right? So we look at that. We revere that. We say, oh, you have financial security. This is so important. Like, you'd be crazy to walk away from it. I knew you grew up in New England, as did we. And we found ourselves going down a similar path where it was like paycheck, steady job, and then realized that that was not bringing us joy and that joy actually is is kind of cool to have as a priority um, and that you can have a joyful life uh, and, and, live, and live something like work, uh, something that doesn't ever feel like work, even though maybe you might, I know for me, like maybe working more than I ever have. So yeah, how does it get from, from the idea to manifestation? Uh, that's so well said. Um, so at my old career, like people who said like, love what you do, never work a day in your life. Like in my head, I'd be like, yeah, right. Like I couldn't imagine ever liking work, even a shred. And, um, I, uh, like my Sunday scaries for Monday used to be so bad. It would start to ruin my Saturday. Like, there was such a small gap between when the week would end on Friday and when I'd start stressing about Monday that, like, it, it was just a bad place to be. And, it, yeah, that fulfillment is something I never thought I would have been able to unlock. And, like, when the feet hit the ground in the morning, I'm, like, fired up to start working on Athletic and, like, talk to our customers, talk to our teammates and all that stuff. Um, so definitely that. Um, it really my wife deserves a ton of credit where she was the one who connected a lot of these dots where like, I actually said the idea out loud, not realizing it was an idea. And she like grabbed my shoulder and was like, that is an amazing idea. You should work on that. And like, I did two years of work as I was told kind of, and I was really excited about it, but like, it wasn't until she was like, you need to quit your job now that I was like, Oh, okay. Like, and so my wife definitely deserves a ton of credit and actually like, getting me out the door of my job because it, it took her buy-in. Um, like, we both had jobs, but, like, it, it took her buy-in to, like, like really encourage me that it was like, oh, actually, I could really do this. Um, and it was scary, right? Because I, I think people listening to this are like, yeah, yeah, we, we get it. Like, he had purpose. He had this whole plan for the brewing. But even to the point where you probably went walked in there to give your resignation, like, there's still fear and doubt that are in your awareness true yeah for sure yeah um and and my my old colleagues were totally shocked uh no one had ever resigned from the type of position i had at that firm ever in a um it was a 19 year history at that oh no it was a 25 year history at that point of the firm um so um <laughs> like people are forced out for sure but no one had ever resigned from that kind of seat and then um I also, I think there was just so much delusional optimism and confidence. And I like, I like knew so deeply that it was going to be like a really meaningful, durable new category that 
I don't think I had the stress that it wasn't going to happen until much later when there was just huge amounts of rejection to get to the starting line. Oh yeah. Yeah, We want to hear about that. (laughs) I feel like sitting where I sit and just seeing from the time I took the first sip of that beer last year in St. George to what has happened in the last year. And also in the years before I even knew you guys existed, starting to see this momentum to that you don't just have to be pregnant or an alcoholic to not be drinking, but that people were starting to crave an alcohol-free life. And that's what they were calling it, like an alcohol-free life. Um, I'm sure you've heard the organization like No Beer One Year or One Year No Beer, um, where it's just people, you know, it's not just people that want alcohol, everybody wants an alcohol-free life in that organization. Some people are probably moving from it from different relationships with alcohol, I'm sure. I certainly, as somebody who started meditating, you know, uh, over a decade ago, like really saw um, that I wanted to be clear and I needed to be clear because the alcohol that I had been drinking was kind of pushing down some things that I needed to feel. And uh, so, you know, I started to get, to get, um, you know, curious about that. And I'm not fully, I don't completely not drink alcohol, but I don't drink a lot of it by any means and and continue to carry that mindfulness with me. But I just feel like your timing was so magical, divine. I don't know what you want to call it, but it's like there was this wave that was building and you were like, yeah, you were already out there on your surfboard and you just caught it. Well, I think there's a lot of threads there where um, I think uh, like a lower alcohol lifestyle jives with a lot of what you said. Um, I think everyone having information at their fingertips and being able to listen to people like you guys, honestly, where you do get insights on the plant-based diets, meditation, things like that. I I think all those things really tie together where people are looking to feel better, eat better, like kind of like life hack their way into a happier life in many ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think alcohol ties really well with that. Um, When all of us were growing up, um, you know, we had one source of information. It was like TV advertising. And if like if lobbyists or whatever could control the message on TV advertising and like the FDA food pyramid, that was that, you know? Um, and it was really hard to get new information outside of that. Now all of us have phones in our pockets and access to like so many really talented professionals who like tell their story and share what they've learned. And it all spins up so much faster and is more transparent. And So I think it was kind of like that all happening, which was like leading me to a healthier life. Um, My wife is an incredible plant-based chef. She's gone to three different cooking schools and we eat entirely vegan in our house. And like, I saw how that made me feel better. And like, I saw how like working out really regularly every morning made me feel better and like different things. And alcohol just kind of went with that also. Um, So it, it kind of is like all these things kind of happened in the, like in the same moment in some ways. Um, but I think society was like way overdue and ready for us to transform this category. And I think we were just the ones that stepped up to the challenge. Um, and it might've been me just being dense and delusional enough to like plow through a lot of no's because it, it like there were some major walls and anyone in the industry I talked to in any element of the industry discouraged it and said i'd save your money like in a very nice way like no one has ever asked for that like you might want to not build a brewery (laughs) for it or before i found john as a co-founder um i was rejected by over 250 brewers um but really probably like five times that many because at conferences i'd walk around and try to talk to everyone also um but you know the like job interviews for a brewmaster were basically like two minutes and be like oh, no thanks, like, oh, no thanks. And um, John was, like, by far the most talented person who responded. And I was so lucky that he was also receptive to it. Um, and But, like, there was so much no, so much rejection that I think it took us, like, kind of blowing through a bunch of those walls to, like, get the category out to the other side. How do you keep, after rejection after rejection after, you know, We've talked a lot about feeling and listening to that voice and you keep seeing some evidence that 
there's no way this is going to happen. How, how do you resolve yourself to pick it up and get going the next day? I think that's, that's, that's where most people fall short. And I think that's where we experienced in our shift was you get to the certain point where everybody mostly turns away because it's the most challenging, but you, you have that, you have something that keeps you moving forward. What do you think that, what do you think that is? Yeah. So I'd actually done all the customer facing research before I resigned from my job. So like I'd done all these surveys that like 55% of American adults that I surveyed in any survey or higher said with some frequency, they would love a good tasting non-alcoholic beer. So I, and like the category was 0.3% of the beer market and 55% of adults would like the product. I was like, wow, there's a huge discrepancy here. And in other European countries, the category is enormous too, with not great offerings out there. So like Europe basically has the same non-alcoholic beers as the US, except it's like 10 or 15% of the beer market there. So like I knew there was like mm. like a standard or um, like an example of this like working. And but also um, I luckily I had like somewhat publicly resigned from my job and everyone knew it's like an accountability thing. Like um, my wife knew I was taking a big bet. All my old colleagues knew I was taking a big bet. I had already resigned from like the top firm in finance. And I I used to run the intern program at our old firm. And it was about a hundred times as hard to get into that firm as it was to Harvard. So it's like, like no one ever really leaves. And so like I had very, I had um, something like 300 salespeople covering me on, at that firm. And so I had resigned to everyone. So I had a ton of accountability on this bet I was taking. So like I, I was in the right position to work really hard. Um, but also like, um, so I, I love the book, the alchemist. I'd like always read that over the years. And, uh, it always made me wonder like, what is my personal journey? Like, what is my like personal mission? And then, um, I love the book, The Obstacle is the Way, too. Um, So I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's like all great things are on the other side of the biggest obstacles. And like no progress is made without big obstacles. And I think I just kind of figured that these are my, like, well, these, like, I got to these roadblocks and these moats. And I was like, well, apparently this is why no one does it. And I was like, this is a good sign. And like, once I get on the other side of these things, like, there's a lot of opportunity here somewhere. So I, yeah, I, it's very, it's very similar to how we started uh yogi triathlete and, and having, <laughs> hearing crickets, you know, a lot, like there's yeah. like nobody's responding and, and you have this, I'm going to call it trait, trust or faith that you are supposed to be doing what you're doing. And I love that the, the um that you're blazing trails like no one had ever left the company um in a similar situation you know i walked away from eight almost 100 percent investment in the company my second go around and people were like what do you like how can you do that how can you walk away from that and they were t- just kept telling us we were crazy to be doing it but i feel there's no other there was no other way no other way to do it and i think you almost have to for some of us back ourselves in a corner. So quit your job, tell your friends, tell everybody. And now you are 1000% you need, you must, you must do this. For sure. Yeah. It's like building in public essentially. And, um, and also like the steps were fun. I like, I was excited about it too. It, like some of the things were hard, but like some of the things were super fun. And like, I look back most fondly on some of the hardest steps too. Um, where like once you finally make those first connections or John and I trying to come up with our method of producing beers, like we were alone in an empty warehouse for nine to 12 months doing hundreds of batches on Gatorade jugs. And that was really hard and it took a ton of time, but we got to know each other super well and it was a lot of fun. And I think we'll always look back at that chapter. It was really fun. Um, We didn't have a sales team when we launched. It was just me, John and one other brewer. And so, like, I would do all the outside world stuff uh, from finance to sales, distribution, everything. And But, 
that first year I went to about 65 athletic event finish lines, like everything from Ironman expos to local 5Ks and everything, and handed out hundreds of beers every weekend. But I was waking up at 3 a.m. I'd actually go set up, run the race, get behind the booth, hand out beers, hope to beat the winners back to the starting line, which when you're running like nine and a half minute miles isn't too easy. You have to get there pretty early for some of these things. Um, but like, I look back on that and like, sure, it was grueling to like drive five hours, hand out beers, do a race, drive home. But like, I look back on that super fondly as well. So like the grind was like just so much fun and like, we're still very much in the grind for sure. Yeah. It was, it's, I think I got the email last year and I saw my inbox and it was the athletic brewing Ironman 70.3 Oceanside. And I was like, wow, like wow, like this is coming through. It's not, you know, Sapiens Ironman or, you know, the Piedmont beef. It's like, <laughs> there's something like substantial that is, it seems like the the momentum behind it is really, really booming. And for somebody, it, it, we're, it, we're like knee deep in um, the endurance sports community. And to see this gravitate to the point of where you were just handing out beer to the point of being a, a sponsor of a major, you know, Ironman event with the competition in the pro field that's out of this world, you know, Kona, Kona related. It's, it's pretty amazing. Um, but then it, it's trickling to all the, all the other races and events that are going on. So why did you, why did you choose, I know it's athletic brewing, but why did you choose particularly sports events um, as your first go? Yeah. So, we had the advantage of like, so I was building a product like for myself. Like I knew the, I like intuitively knew the customer who's myself. I knew the audience who was myself. I knew who we were marketing to. And like, it, um, I guess it, it's probably like definitely a world centered view of yourself. But like, I also like knew, like, I, I feel like I knew the community of people I work out with, like the, the like healthy professional, like I just knew hundreds of people like me that I knew would like our product eventually and be the core customer. And I'm a huge fan of a thousand true fans. And like, if you like, if a thousand people love what you're doing, they're going to tell people about it. And, um, so yeah, it like, we never had to do focus groups for product or anything. Cause John and I knew exactly what we wanted to make. And like, we knew when it was good. We never had to do focus groups to be like, Oh, like, what do 20 or 30 somethings do on the weekends for races or whatever? It's like, I just looked at all the races I wanted to run and I was like, I'm going to be at all these finish lines. And like some of them weren't quite ready for us, like Spartan races and stuff. Like I didn't have any money to like be a sponsor or whatever, but like anyone who would take us, I would be there. And um, so it was, it was really easy. I didn't have to like <clears throat> do any Googling, like where, like what kind of races to do, like what races do people run? We kind of like knew it all inherently. So that made it a lot easier. I like that it comes from selfish, not selfish, but it comes from, I guess, selfish. Like you want to improve yeah. yourself and then you just, you just keep pulling that thread. Well, so many brands like start in a focus group and then marketing defines it. And then they trial the people like this. And I really just took it out there and, handed hundreds of cans to people. I'm like, do you like this? <laughs> and yeah. So, yeah. And I think it's <clears throat> BJ, I think it's similar to like the, just the roots of Yogi triathlete, right? So we could just kept stri striving or, or looking to reach higher levels of health and people would ask us for recipes. And then they would ask us like, how are you so calm? Why aren't you anxious? And they would ask us like, Oh, well, you guys are getting older now. And like, you're not getting injured all the time or that, you, you know, how are you being so consistent with your training? And so it was like what we recognized was this recipe for life that we love, right? Like, in, and that we want to continue to grow and expand. Um, but other people wanted it too. And, uh, and then, you know, the meditation, which I would think meditation is kind of up there with non-alcoholic beer, right? Um, that is just like, at first it was crickets. Um, but that, that piece is the game changer. Like it is the game changer for sure. Um, but you know, it kind of started with this lifestyle that we were 
living that we were fine tuning, right? We weren't that great at being plant-based at first. We were fine tuning and then, but then we recognized that other people wanted it too. And that continues, continues to grow. So when I look at, um, gosh, athletic brewing, right? But when I look at, we've been in endurance sports for a long time, specifically triathlon and Ironman Oceanside has always been like an iconic, super competitive, just absolute launch of the U.S. season. Really, people are always really excited about that race. So it's kind of like it's at this pointy end of popularity. And then you've got Jackson Laundry, who we just, we actually just interviewed. And he has, you know, this the biggest upset in what they're calling like Ironman Oceanside history. <laughs> And then you've got this podium of amazing people. You've got one of the most exciting races that will go down in history, and you guys are all over it. You've got them drinking out of these huge athletic brewing steins. Um, so we look, we, we tend to look back and go, oh, my God, yeah, those, it was grueling those days. But do you take time to – and specifically, Oceanside, I'm curious – did you have a moment or do you take time to reflect of like, wow, like, and just let that feel so good? It, it's incredible. I'm, um, so I'm always like, I love the starting lines. Like I love being there in the dark, like the, like, like the nervous energy of racers who have like trained for a year and you can just like feel it in the air. Um, at Oceanside, especially, um, like, in, like the walk down the beach to that like just like wide open sprint down the beach um or uh so like a moment that comes really clearly to me is uh i've handed out beer at the iron man lake placid like three or four times both the 73 and the full iron man up there which is absolutely iconic and like the steam off the lake mm -hmm. in the beginning and like people running out to it and then but i really specifically remember like walking towards the finish line as a sampler and like looking at like the Red Bull arch and things like that and being like, like, how do we get to there where we're like much more present here and stuff like that. And so it's like, it's amazing to reflect on like Oceanside and like look at all the branding around town and hear the announcer saying our name and stuff like that. So it's, um, but for me, it's really like much more about the athletes and their experience. And like, it's, it's such a moment for them. Like we're just happy to sponsor Ironman and help them keep the races going and build this community of great things going on. So like more than anything, being part of the ecosystem in a positive way. Yeah, I know. I want to talk. Let's actually, let's go into that. But then I also want to talk about, you're not just at Ironman. You are doing some pretty cool things with some pretty cool trail <laughs> runners sure. and mountaineers and things like that. Um, but let's talk about the um, the give back because um, for every purchase that's made, you guys are giving back. And we'd like to hear a little bit more about that because the give back is getting big at 2%. Yeah. So it's <laughs> like our like our product, like the first part of our mission statement is to positively, positively impact our customers, basically their health, happiness, and fitness. But the second part of our mission statement is the community and the environment in total. Um, and we, I know a lot of companies like have really generally positive mission statements, but like no really concrete way that's lived up to in ours. Like we are very clearly changing the way people drink in this country for a healthy, better way. And then the second part in their communities and the environment. Um, and so I'm a big believer, like we recently became a B Corp and, but like that was two years in the making because we realized we do all B Corp things and didn't have credit for it yet also. But um, I'm a huge believer in employee ownership. Like every one of our teammates is an owner of the company from day one with the company. Like, so people own what they're building and then um, like just, companies being like good stewards of the world like so many companies are in this like shareholder first mentality where they strip everything they can out of everything to like give it to shareholders where we want to be a good company that's going to operate sustainably for a long long time and be a positive influence on the world um and so we donate two percent of all sales to our two for the trails program which we've had since day one um that's uh, so basically, it, we keep it as a fairly loose definition of what Two for the Trails can contribute to as like trail and park cleanups, maintenance, trail building, park building, 
anything. Um, so it could be anything from like an urban bike park all the way to like a really remote trail system in like the way backwoods of anywhere. Um, but um, it could be, or like to rock climbing or anything. So um, last year, that program exceeded a million dollars for the first time and it'll likely keep growing every year. Um, it was 66 donations over 35 states, all five, 10, $25,000 donations all over the place. Um, but like a couple instances of like things we work on with that, um, Yosemite facelift is a big one in our backyard here, the San Diego mountain biking association, like working on trails with them, um, surf rider on the beaches here. Um, a couple of years ago, the main Hudson Trail system wasn't going to open because they didn't have enough funding. And this Hudson Trails program in Maine, like super remote, um, gets thousands of kids out into the woods every year in a safe way. And Athletic donated $20,000 basically to get them to their funding goal and get that open for the season. And so it, it's like all sorts of things like that. So <laughs> That's amazing. That just... <laughs> How does that like? How does that feel in your heart to know that um, that as as an organization and everybody's a part of it? And I know you don't just see athletic yeah. as you at all. Um, although it started with you, like how does that feel to to see this just the the trickle effect of the work? It, yeah, I love zooming out and just being like, it, like if I zoom all the way in, so um, like in Connecticut near the brewery, one of my favorite trail systems to run. And it's called Mianus river gorge. And it's this like, um, four and a half mile loop around this beautiful trail with like everything from hills to rivers and everything. And our donation there was like $7,500, but that goes like so far to them. Um, but that's only like $7,000 to one park. Like the program was a million dollars last year. And then over a 10 year period, this will probably be like 15 plus million dollars and it's like, just thinking about how big that gets is really fun. <laughs> That's fun. That's like monopoly money. Like where that must be so fun to figure out where it's going to go. And I'm sure, I'm sure tough to make those decisions too. Um, okay. So keeping with the trail, there's a super cool project that you have worked with Jason Hardrath, who uh, we just had his uh, beautiful partner, Ashley Winchester on, and we've been talking with Jason. Uh, we'll have him on the show as well, but then I'm seeing this tie-in with Athletic Brewing and about to launch right to the world. I think it's is it May mm -hmm. 9th, about to launch to the world is Journey to 100, which is Jason's journey well why don't you tell what it is we'd love to hear from you yeah so like in terms of like a thousand like members of our community and like building up our community and spreading the word like jason was on our ambassador team and just an awesome guy outdoor adventurer and um i started exchanging emails with him and like the site fkt.com um originally was like a super small world of people following it and there was always this guy, Ben Nephew, in the Northeast who had all these iconic FKTs, and he had, like, 52 FKTs. And, like, the next closest person was, like, 15, always, or 20. And, like, everyone was like, wow, this guy, Ben Nephew, is going to be the god of FKTs forever. And he had a lot of the routes me and my brother used to hike on weekends and stuff, like the Pemi Loop, the Presidential Traverse, like, really contested FKTs. And... um all of a sudden, I started seeing Jason coming up like 15, 20, 25. And I was just looking at the loops and they were nuts. And so, like, we're like, hey, Jason, like, what are you, like, what are your goals? Or, like, and started to exchange emails with him. And, like, I found out, like, he, so he's an Oregon school teacher and, like, just the most, like, authentically, like, stoked, like, just good person. And, um, he was driving like, like on his like average weekend, he would drive like six to 12 hours to like an iconic mountain or loop or anything, do like a 50 mile adventure hike and drive back to school on Monday. And I was like, that is an like incredible weekend. Like this is such a cool email to receive. And I was like getting these emails and these accounts and like looking at his Strava and his Instagram. I was like, this guy's story should be on a bigger platform. And then he told us, I was like, what are your goals? And he was like, he was at like 27 FKTs or something. And he's like, I'm going for a hundred. And I was like, whoa, that's actually like a really big story. Like, and 
so we were kind of like, do you care if we follow you with cameras? And so like started following him with wizard media, who's like an incredible filmmaker. And so over like a year and a half period, they were following him, editing footage and telling his story. Um, and so that all came to fruition with, so for his 100th FKT, he actually climbed 100 mountains in last summer and in, in the state of Washington called the Bulgers 100, and which in itself is such a like iconic feat. And so it, that's coming out in storytelling form. And I think he'll probably be Jason's like jump onto the scene as like a really elite adventure athlete, which he is. So but like really authentically a great person too. So um, yeah, it's called journey to 100 film, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I can send the link, but if you Google journey to hundred athletic brewing, it, we have a site on our page, which shows where the, there's different showings like locally throughout the country, different film festivals, and we're doing a virtual one soon as well. And hopefully you'll do one here locally in, uh, in San Diego. And we'll uh, sure, yeah. we'll come if we're if we're in town. We'll definitely we'll definitely come. Uh, what's what was something about in that film? If you can share with us in that film something that you know you were just like, whoa! I mean, the hundred mountain the, climbing <laughs> the hundred pretty... mountains for the hundredth of KT is pretty yeah. sick. But uh, anything else that you can share with us that just sticks with you? Well, I mean, just. Jason's Instagram in general, like what he does, what him and Ashley do really on any given weekend is incredible. So it's really fun to follow them. Um, I actually think one of the most notable things about his whole journey to 100 is like, it's so hard to catch him at a down moment and like tell the story of struggle because he's always just like has such stoke and he's always so excited. So um, where you're like, you are on peak 60 of a hundred in like such terrible conditions. And he's just like running by going like, Whoa. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter if it's two hours of sleep or 10 hours of sleep. And yeah. So. Yeah. That guy needs to be like bigger in the world, mm-hmm. meaning more people need to feel that, feel that energy. energy. That's, that's, sure. that's the kind of energy that, that helps people, you know, make those changes that, that they want to see in the world. And like I said, in that intro, it's got to, it's got to start with us. It's got to start with us. Yeah, for sure. And that energy, you know, I want to just turn it back into, you know, athletic brewing and and what it took uh, in terms of passion and what your thoughts are on how, how important it is to have passion um, as you pursue these endeavors. And I think you talk, I think it was, uh, you're talking to your buddy from, Middlebury College about um, entrepreneurship. Like, I want to be an entrepreneur, but they really didn't know like what it takes to be that. And I think you know, connections with Jason too. Somebody who's just their stoke level or passion level is just through the roof. So, what is your take on on on, on having that or or must having that? Yeah, it's so. I, like, I've had a fair amount of people. Like, I love talking to entrepreneurs, getting going, and like like anyone who like wants to ask for advice on our like reflections on our journey, what was like foundational for me. And I really say passion, like it, like nothing is easy. And like anything that seems easy is in, and um, it could be anything from regulatory to you kind of need to like be ready to like do accounting on Friday nights at 11 PM or like when the alarm goes off at 3 AM on Saturday or yeah or and you have to get up or the actual brewery alarm goes off at midnight on a Saturday night like oh do I go check on this or not like the answer has to be yes and um so it's it's got to be passion for sure um I, I think also like building off a good base though um I mean so many things we've touched on lightly on this podcast um but like kind of a healthy performance-based lifestyle like it it, it everything is grueling in this world and like having a good foundation is so important. Um, I was really lucky in like the year when I resigned from my job, but before we launched commercially, I had like such a focused year where um, I like really like got my diet in order, my exercise habits in order. That was the year I started meditating. Um, I've got a great like morning and evening meditation routine I do, which I think like, especially in the evening, like morning is more goal setting. 
evening is more like reflection and gratitude of what happened in the day. And like, I mean, so often, like you could have like five wins in the morning and then one negative thing happens in the afternoon and all you're focused on is the negative thing and the stresses. And you've got to take those wins too and like wind down the day and get to a good mental place. And so meditation has been absolutely foundational for me as well. And I've kind of like pulled in different elements from like all sorts of people's meditation practices I've heard and like cobbled together my own routines for the morning and evening. Um, which, but it's like something I'll carry with me the rest of my life for sure. Is it an, uh, I'm sure this, I know the answer already, but is it a non-negotiable for you? You know, when the immediate response is like, I don't have time for it. I just don't have time. For sure. You make time. Yeah. In the morning, I don't turn on my phone until, so like, I don't even know what the day's distractions are until I'm done walking my dogs, feeding my dogs, meditating, and then I turn on the phone. So like it. Yeah, it could be the brewery burned down to the ground, and I'll find that out right after I meditate. Um, but <laughs> totally, it's, I totally agree. I totally agree. <laughs> yeah, and then, but like we all know, like without good habits and like good diet and good health, like nothing. Like I'm just so much more productive if the foundation is strong. Yeah, yeah. You got to walk the talk. I mean, I think, yeah. and I think it's so. I think people can sniff that out if you're not, you know. Yeah. And you, if, yeah, if the mind is just going a million miles an hour and you're just sporadically like doing like, like people can tell you're not like level and focused and everything. So it's, um, yeah, meditation has become hugely important to me. When did you start meditating? Uh, July 2017. So um, I resigned from my job January 2017 to focus on athletic full-time and we we launched commercially in may 2018 and so i've i've meditated almost every single morning and night since then um like sometimes the night if like if i'm not sitting up with the lights on if like i always like at least start and i'm sure i've fallen asleep 50 plus times meditating but like i always at least start at night yeah yeah, you're gonna. Yeah, that's gonna happen. Especially if you're an athlete. Especially if you're an entrepreneur. If you're getting up at three in the morning, it happens. It happens to me for sure. Um, and I think that I think it's easy for people to look at somebody like you and say, "Oh, he's got it all together, and he's got all these people, and you know, and, and it's easy." But it's like, no, you you got it. Like when that alarm goes off at three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning, um, you're up. Right. I'm sure there's some days where you're like, oh, the, the bed is comfortable and the sheets are soft, but you still have to get up. We still have to get up over that little hump of resistance, which I think with practice, with experience of getting over that hump more and more, it gets easier. But in my experience, there's always a little tinge of resistance somewhere like, oh, you can do the meditation later or, um, oh, but maybe you should just check the phone or, and it's that self-regulation, um, which gets easier over time. But I find that the impulses are still kind of there. Do you get that at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would say eating is probably my biggest impulse and it might be because I'm burning a ton of calories also, but like, between stress, afternoon hunger, things like that, like it's eating is probably my biggest guilty pleasure for sure. Yeah. Um, so tell us about the ambassador team. I've been seeing that growing. I'm seeing your kits out there on race day. It's just super cool. Super cool. Uh, yeah. So it's like we wanted to build athletic from a community first perspective, like right from the start. And like I was like customer emails, the company phone number, it was all my cell phone. And like, I wanted to hear from our community. I wanted to talk to our community. And, but like, eventually, like we had a lot of interested people that we were like meeting at races, running races with doing local events with and everything. And, um, so I wanted to formalize it in a way. So like eventually me and one of our other first teammates started referring to them as ambassadors and then we formalized it by like starting to buy them merch and like send them beer and different things. But then it grew into like 500 people and we're like, wow, this is going to be like a thousand people soon. And, and they were all amazing too. And so 
um, we also had um, become really friendly with Mason Gravely, who was running the Adventure Sports Podcast, and he still does. And but like, just had our brand ethos so well. And I was like, Mason, I really want you to join our team. And he's like, to do what? And I was like, I don't know. And like, I just wanted him on the team. And I was like, you get our brand. And like, um, and like, so many of our great teammates have come on board with like almost no role and then like found a role after. And um, I like, in an HR nightmare, I called like, not like in any bad way, but like, <laughs> like the titles I was giving people were like, I gave Mason a title called Lead Adventurer. And like, and so he was going to oversee our ambassador program, organize races, charitable things. And so, um, and then Mason started to really thoughtfully build out the ambassador program. And then Julie joined our team as well. And so they've become the point people for like this amazing community of people who do so much charitable work, so much community work, the team, like running races together. And so, and, um, like communication platforms and so it's they've done an amazing job with the program and is that a yearly can people you know join that is there an open application every year yep yeah Yeah. i think it's twice a year the open application window and then like we give the people people a chance to like cycle out if they're not as active anymore too and um but like like everyone on it is like an awesome representation of our community um like Jason is a perfect example of someone. Um, another really cool example is Molly Seidel. Um, she, so she was on our ambassador team. We didn't know she had, like, we knew she wanted to be a professional runner, but like it was her first marathon ever when she registered for the U S Olympic trials. And so Mason was watching the U S Olympic trials and he's like, one of our ambassadors might win this. He was like, turn this on. And Molly in her second marathon ever got second in the U S Olympic trials and then went on to get the bronze medal in the Olympics. She was the first finisher in the New York marathon. Um, or first, uh, uh, American woman finisher in the New York marathon. And like, it's just like such an awesome ambassador for what we've been doing. And, um, so, but like, that's the caliber person and athlete that's like coming out of this program as an example but that's not the i love it because that's not the you're not searching for that it's like you're just a good person and you em, and you emanate what we what we believe in as a company so anything that happens is just amazing we just love you because and want you because of you for sure yeah and it's like yeah what do you what do you need to get there and like oh you're like Um, we have a program, for example, if someone raises, um, like a multiple of the amount of money for like, uh, like a race entry, like, so for charity, they, we pay the race entry then. So it's like this pretty cool, like compounding effect where like our ambassador team running races is actually raising a ton of money too. So when you sit here, okay, so when, before it became a public company, like before you guys went to market and all of that, I'm sure there was visions and dreams. Now it's, you know, I mean, like just anyone that was at Oceanside saw the the caliber of where the brand is now. Or, six a, pack too. Yeah, a little bit of, yeah, we gotta, <laughs> we're working on a sixer right now. Um What's the vision now? Like where, where's the dream now? Because you can also like, as the, as, as the top of this, of this, um, organization, right? You, I mean, even though it's a community and all of that, you and John being the co-founders, you got to keep dreaming. You got to keep having that vision or you're going to get caught up in that minutia of day to day. What's the dream Mm -hmm. now? Like, what's the vision? What do you see for the future? Yeah, so it's still the same. It's um, like kind of like the mission is clear. The details on how we got there are like like somewhat negotiable and like what any given year entails or like how like different marketing campaigns or stuff like that. Um, so like I would say like our goals aren't necessarily around like any numeric values or things like that. It's, it's around the impact we have, the fulfillment we have the impact in the world the quality of jobs we give our teammates and stuff like that so like the more beer we sell the more we give to two for the trails in our community impact program 
the better jobs for our teammates and stuff like that. So it's, um, yeah, it, those are the goals kind of, and they're almost like infinitely scalable in a lot of ways. And what does your brewing team look like at this point? Because, I mean, somebody is having a lot of fun because the amount of beers that you guys have on the website right now is crazy. you got a lot of limited editions, and then there's some that are labeled like pilot program. Um, yep. Yeah, who's having so much fun over there in Stratford, Connecticut? That's totally a testament to John and the brewing team. Um, so it started with John, and like at first no one wanted to work with us, and now like we've been super lucky to get really talented people from like a who's who of like the best breweries out there. And like inspiration comes from kind of everywhere within our company or customers and stuff. So like, um, for example, I'm like, we, when we created our first ride coffee Porter, um, one of our West coast brewing teammates got like 20 local coffee roasters. We all as a team tried all 20 and we're like, this is the best one. And then he created three different porter recipes using that coffee. And we're like, this is the best one. Like, we all voted on it. And so we scaled up that one. And like, but it's like so fun and collaborative the way we do it. (laughs) What do you see is, um, or what, what I want to know is, is over the course of this whole journey from, from when you had the idea to today, like what, what has just blown your mind? If you can pinpoint one thing that has surprised you the most, what would you what would you say? Um, hmm. Definitely tough to say for sure. It's uh, like brewery construction and like is just so much fun. It's like big toys basically. And so like watching our like super talented teammates pull together a brewery is really cool. Um because I know what like the super small scale looked like and what that took. So like, like this, our new Connecticut brewery, like blows my mind and how it's coming together. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would honestly say it's kind of a cop out, but I think our team has like blows my mind every day in a lot of different ways. So that's so cool. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be something profound. That's what I love. Like it can just be, it can just be like you expect, you know, you expected all of this. And it's not that you're attached to it, but you expect to be successful. You expect to to grow the community. You expect to to keep growing. And and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just it's a belief. And then and then that is what you stand for. It's just this constant evolution of what you what you see for the future. And I think the important piece is something you said, which is is really important to anybody who's looking to uh, pursue something that they're inspired to pursue. Mm. Is like you've got the goal, right? But how that goal, how it unfolds to reach that goal, that's where we have to let go. Cause that's where mm-hmm. if we grip too tight, we're gonna we're gonna create a lot of stress and anxiety and probably screw it up along the way. But if we can just hold the overarching goal, we can show up every day. You know, I'm so familiar with those, you know, 3 a.m. mornings, like passing water bottles out the window to BJ on a training run while I'm editing a podcast for the first five years. I did the podcast myself, like, you know, just working, working, working in, you know, Starbucks parking lots, trying to pick up Wi-Fi, things like that, right? (laughs) At any time of night, how many times you've been like in a parking lot on the way home from a road trip? like, you know, sending out, yeah. yeah, Or like replying to somebody who inquired to be an an athlete and you just got to be willing to do that. But the way it unfolds, like if I said, I'm not, I'm only going to work this amount of time, you know, or I'm not willing to reply to an email when we're on the road and you know, it's 11 o'clock at night. That is so important is getting your fingers Mm -hmm. out of the details and just focus on the overarching goal and moving forward every day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think meditation can definitely help with that too. It's like, this is the goal. I say it over and over again in the morning and like, like almost intuitively you get there, I feel like. Yeah, that's a, that's a perfect way to end. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't, have, couldn't have said it better if I fed you that line. <laughs> <laughs> where are we going to, where are we going to so see you funny. next? Are we, are you at, um, are you in St. George or are you, do you have any um, events coming I up? I be there. I need to get something on my calendar, though. <laughs> um, last year, the PCT 50 got canceled on me. I was really mm. excited about running that. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I got to put something on the calendar for the next six months that I'll be training for. Because, like, right now I'm, like, like, I went for a 12-mile run on Saturday, and it was, like, great. 
and like but like there's almost like no training pressure or anything and i'd love to like really feel the grind to get out there in the morning so yeah you got to sign up for something yeah, <laughs> for sure. Cool. Well, and then all your definitely friends about all it. ideas for sure. <laughs> all right. Exactly. Well, I'll be at yeah. the I'll be at the Kodiak 50k in August. I've been hearing such great things about that up in Big Bear. So, oh I'm wow, currently nice. recruiting people to do that as well. I hear that 50k awesome. feels like a 50 mile. Like I it's love legit. It. Very cool. So, um, nice. all right. Well, we hope we see you around, and um, I'm sure we'll be seeing athletic. At uh, at the races, next stop will be World Championship in St. George. Um, we'll be there. We'll be in Oregon. We'll be in Santa Cruz. We'll be in La Quinta. We'll be in Kona. Arizona. We'll be in Arizona. Arizona. So I'm assuming you guys will be at some of those races too. Yeah, most of them. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. People can look for the big run wild can. Awesome. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love. Although I think Hazy might be my secret favorite. For what, I love it. Yeah, I like that one a lot. All right, cool. Bill, thank Thanks, you so Bill. much. Uh, so appreciate your time. I know you're super busy, and I'm um, psyched to know you're right down the road. Uh, hope to run into you in person sometime soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.